the Agile brand. Welcome to season six of the Agile brand, where we discuss marketing technology and customer experience trends, insights, and ideas with enterprise and technology platform leaders. We focus on the people, processes, data, and platforms that make brands successful, scalable, customer-focused, and sustainable. This is what makes an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advising Fortune 1000 brands on MarTech, marketing operations, and CX, best-selling author and speaker. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that my latest book, Priority is Action, Seven Principles for Better Strategies, Decisions, and Outcomes, is now available. In it, I give ideas and insights for leaders and teams that need to make meaningful progress on their priorities. After all, our priorities are what we do, not what we say we'd like to do. You can find Priority is Action on Amazon or learn more on my website, gregkilstrom.com. Now let's get on to the show. There's a lot of talk about headless, composable, mock, and the like these days. We've certainly talked about it quite a bit on this show. And I can say from personal experience that there are many instances where they are the perfect fit. But as with any technology solution, it's not always a one-size-fits-all. Sometimes headless isn't the right fit, or a more nuanced approach is needed. Today, we're going to talk about this, as well as how low-code or no-code solutions can help teams make the most of their website redesign. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Liz Spranzani, Chief Technology Officer at Verndale. Liz, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this topic with you. Um, but first, why don't we get started with you giving a little background on yourself as well as what you're currently doing in your role at Verndale? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first and foremost, um, I've been with Verndale, which is a digital experience agency um, headquartered in Boston since 2001. Yeah, so over 20 years. That's a long time in agency world. <laughs> it is. It is. I don't really know how it happened, but here I am. But I've played pretty much every single technology role um, at Verndale um, that we have. And currently, I'm leading our technical teams in several departments in our engineering, our business analysts, our QAs, our Salesforce practice technologists, and, and also very much focused on DXP and platform expansion. What that also means is I'm focused on sort of technical delivery excellence as well as helping our clients keep ahead of the technology. And this is not an easy thing right now. And in the last year or two, it's really been focused on platform evaluations and especially how CMS and the DXP landscape is evolving from monolithic to composable, headless, SaaS, and, and as you mentioned, uh, low-code, no-code. Great, great. So let's get started with this idea of you know headless as being the right approach sometimes, but not always. You know, as I mentioned, we, you know, on the show, I've had I've had. Plenty of people talking about some of the virtues of, of headless and, and certainly agree with those. But, you know, anybody listening to the show has most likely, you know, heard the the good part and and the the positives and, and all those things. And, and certainly there are plenty of those. But, you know, just so, you know, for reference, maybe those that didn't listen to some of those previous shows or, or, or know a little bit less about this. Do you mind sharing uh, you know, what do you mean when you refer to a headless solution versus a more traditional approach? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it is important to say because often we hear these terms sort of intermingled. Um, yeah. You've got headless, composable, 
SAS and 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 I think sometimes people don't really understand, you know, there are differences between all of those. So first, to start with, headless means a physical separation um, of the presentation and where you administer the content of something. And so the head of a CMS, for an example, is the front end or presentation layer, which is almost always a website. Um, there are other channels when you talk about CMS, but specifically when you're talking about heads, it's a, it's a website. And in the monolithic traditional approach that has really been the case for 20 something years now, it's commingled code. Right. So what you end up with is literally in your code base for your application, not only do you have the code of your website, but you also have the code that's been provided by the platform vendor right there in the code as well, which means that you're limited to the technology that that vendor is using. Right? That could be um, Java, that could be .NET, that could be C Sharp, right? You're, you're, but you're limited to that. You're limited to which one they're using, and you're also limited to the version that they're on, and often they're behind. It also means that you um, run into complex upgrades because when you need to upgrade either your front-end application or you need to upgrade that CMS platform, what ends up happening is you've got to do it all together, and you end up having to test everything. This is slow and it lacks agility. And what happened is that when you know we had the pandemic and COVID, it really laid bare this problem with this monolithic architecture because folks needed to move quickly, right? They had to get digital very quickly, regardless of how mature they might've already been there. And what they were finding is they could not move fast enough to keep up with the opportunities there. you know. And so what happens is Headless makes a lot of sense for content delivery to multiple channels. But the website is not the only channel, but maybe it's not even the most important channel. And so when you have headless, you start to think, you know, the presentation isn't the most important thing anymore, you know, a website, but maybe I need to deliver it to a social platform, a marketing automation platform, something of that nature. I think this, what needs to be called out is composable is often, again, used in the same sentence, but it's not the same thing. Composable has been around forever. And what that really means is that you can have multiple systems talk to each other. And that's, you know, a, a lot of these platforms have had APIs that have enabled that for many, many years. But what they're trying to do now is make them easier to connect and talk, maybe have more out of the box or, or leveraging certain structures or standards. But something can be composable and not be headless or be headless. You can have either. And, the, and similarly for SaaS, which is software as a service, and that's when the platform vendor actually owns, hosts, supports, manages, updates automatically the platform, that also is often composable. You know, it's headless, but something that's headless isn't necessarily SaaS, right? So it's very important to understand that there's there's nuances between all of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for doing that. And I agreed. All lots of the stuff just gets conflated and maybe in in some lighter conversations it's fine to, you know, to to slightly misuse terms, but I think it's definitely helpful for even for marketer, you know, the most people out there listening to this are, are marketing and marketing related professions. I think it's important that marketers understand this stuff too, because they've got a They've got to know what they're asking for and, and know what some kind of the implications are. So thanks for thanks for providing that. So, you know, as as I mentioned, 
you know, there is a lot of focus on on headless and, you know, some of these other things too, but, you know, there's a lot of focus on headless now and, and some of it is for good reason. It, it, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of cases, but it's not always the best fit. Can you talk about why this is the case and, and you know, what should organizations be looking out for here? Yeah, I think first it's important to remember that headless is a is a technical architecture choice, right? And when it comes to the visitors or the end users, it shouldn't really impact that impact them all that much. Yeah. I mean, granted, yes, performance might might be faster in certain ways with it, right? But like ultimately, it's it's not so much the considerations around your visitors and their experience. It more so needs to be around how your organization is prepared to manage and maintain a headless architecture. And that is, you know, partly on the infrastructure side, right? It's it's about having the right staff who understands how to, you know, sort of all the different platforms and infrastructure choices that you need to maintain. It potentially also impacts developers and the folks that are supporting the application that you need to handle. It's not easier to go headless and it's not necessarily cheaper. It doesn't mean it's more expensive, but if, if, if cost is a concern or simplicity is a concern, headless is not necessarily going to solve problems and it's, and it's certainly going to introduce more complexity because you're, you're likely um, dealing with a lot more infrastructure points and you're, you're potentially dealing with a lot more different vendors. The other area that people might not think as much about is that it will impact the folks, the marketers, the content authors that are managing the content and the applications. And the reason I say this is that a purely headless application wouldn't have knowledge really of anything around um, the CMS and the headless application handles all the presentation. And what that means, especially for folks who are used to the monolithic systems that had really robust page orchestration abilities, is that your ability to lay out that content on the page, to move it around, to add additional you know, modules or elements to the page and, and do inline editing directly from like a page view is not as easy with headless. Um, there's a lot of extra steps that need to be taken by a headless CMS to enable aspects of this. And quite frankly, most of them don't have a very robust page editing experiences. And what that means is your marketer or your, your content author is really focused on just the content and not so much how it looks on the page. And that sort of takes away some of their, some of their power of putting that out there. Um, there are some platforms who have worked around that, but it's definitely something to consider is that sort of the power for presentation goes back over into the folks who are implementing that front-end application. Yeah, yeah. So the, for those organizations that, um, you know, so, some of the things that you mentioned are, uh, they're just not going to work for them, you know, from a headless perspective, you know, what do you, what do you recommend instead for organizations to solve some of these, these challenges? You know, specifically around the presentation and still having the ability to have flexibility there and opinions about how it's laid out and actually execute it on themselves. One option is to go with a hybrid headless option. As mentioned, there are uh, several DXP platforms that do still emphasize the ability to do that in-page editing. 
you know, for example, Sitecore is a platform that has always had a really stellar page building experience. And, you know, the, the, what they've released for their sort of headless SaaS offering still enables a lot of the same capabilities of that on-page editing, which is, which is pretty impressive. Um, I know some other platforms have as well. And if you look at some of the, the pure headless, like content stack or contentful, they've got, you know, it's not quite as robust, but they still have some of those as well. So it's, it's, you know, my recommendation would be is to really keep the marketer in mind and empathy for the marketer and the content author and to look for platforms that are still going to enable, you know, that, that presentation approach for the website, if it's an important channel for you. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So for, in some of those cases where, you know, what, what would need to change for, in some of these cases for you to then recommend a, a headless solution and, and, you know, in some of those cases. Yeah, I would say that an organization needs to come to the point where the experience they're trying to enable um, for their customers is not so much about the specifics in a design, right? A pixel perfect look and feel, but but and you know the precision that comes around that, but really to embrace the ideas that they're getting, trying to get to an outcome. So instead of trying to micromanage the specifics of the look of it or whatnot, but what what if instead embracing personalization and experimentation, you know, A/B testing, where adding some of those third-party platforms would allow you to focus on that outcome and not so much on the design where you create your application, it's pulling the content out onto the page. And then those third-party applications are sort of allowing it to evolve, allowing that presentation to evolve over time. You know, it's 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 deciding what to display based on, on conversions and what your customers are doing and how closely they're getting to, to what the activities that you want them to be doing. And and what that would do is sort of take the burden off of feeling like I really need to have the ability to control that presentation at all times. Before we continue, I'd like to introduce you to a sponsor of the show, Partner Hero. Customer service outsourcing has long been available mainly to large enterprise businesses with long-term contracts and onerous procurement processes. Partner Hero is challenging business as usual and bringing the benefits of outsourcing to small and medium businesses as well as startups. With short, flexible contracts and fast ramp-up times, Partner Hero is making customer support outsourcing a viable option for small and medium businesses and startups. It's perfect for companies with seasonality expecting a temporary spike in volume or that simply need to scale up. And their focus on quality means your customers will get an experience that feels like it comes from your team. If you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your company that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com slash agile, that's partnerhero.com slash A-G-I-L-E, to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from the Agile brand and the way of the setup fee. Before we get back to the show, I just wanted to remind you to hit the follow or subscribe button on your app to make sure you get notified when new episodes of this show are available. Now let's get back to the show. So, I mean, it, to me, it's, it kind of sounds like, you know, from, from the marketer's perspective, I mean, the, the engineers and um, technologists out there might have a, a, a different view on this, but, you know, from the marketer's standpoint, it really just comes back to really understanding what you need to do with your content and how you want it to perform, which, you know, seems to me to be the, 
the strategic, you know, the, the, the strategic focus and, and stuff rather than thinking too much about, okay, well, I need, I need headless for this or, or, or not, you know, as the case may be. I mean, would you say it's, you know, it basically, it, it starts with really the requirements of what you want to do with the content. Absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 it's all about the experience you're trying to provide, you know, and content, you know, being an important part of that, but it's, it's all about, about the outcomes and the experiences you're trying to drive. Yeah. Yeah. The technology should support the outcomes. The technology, technology should not drive the outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that way of, of saying that. That's great. Yeah. Um, so la- last topic I wanted to talk about, um, you know, mentioned it briefly at the top of the show, um, is the, you know, power of low code and, and no code approaches. These are things that allow less technical or even non-technical users of something like a website, DXP or content management system to do things that it previously took an engineer time and often money if the work was outsourced to do. You know, I think a lot of people out there listening probably are familiar with the, these terms, even if you aren't, it's very likely you have used something that would be deemed a low code or no code tool. But, you know, could you give an example of, you know, where where can low code, no code be helpful? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because this, I think, is a really critical area as well and plays in nicely with what we've been talking about. So low code, no code can be used in a lot of places and where it can be used is, is growing tremendously. A focus, you know, has been on integrations, right? These these iPaaS platforms like Workado and Zapier, you know, they're they're trending towards integrations that are all configuration over code, right? You've got different endpoints set up to different systems. And instead of having to go in and write these big long functions that are essentially, you know, extracting data and transforming it and moving it over. You know, it's all about the mappings, mappings between it, and then just adding a little bit of code potentially here and there for anything that can't be done um, with the configuration. So that's a really strong place um, that's that's been evolving over the years. But recently, especially, you know, kind of bringing it back to websites, We've been seeing some some really strong evolution of the the capabilities in these platforms with AI definitely helping to drive that. So initially, you know, where where our heads were at was this could be good for smaller and simpler applications. You know, kind of think about landing pages and campaigns. You know, maybe spec work. You know, some of these platforms like uh, Webflow is one that we're pretty familiar with. Some of these platforms are, were, are really great about you being able to drag and drop things onto the page, and it's automatically creating the code behind the scenes. But what we've seen, you know, for example, with Webflow, is that it's far, far um, more robust and flexible than that. What you can literally do is take Figma designs and have it pulled over into Webflow, starting at the like smallest, most atomic design building blocks. Think about like fonts and spacing and colors and sort of setting up your whole style guide there. And and then literally being able to um, create your entire page and have it generate really good quality code, you know, and that I'm emphasizing that, you know, behind the scenes. And what you end up doing is is taking out, you know, 
a lot of development time and being able to focus your time and your energy on on more of those experiences. And then it doesn't mean if you use a platform like that, you won't have some of the strengths that you see in the DX, you know, some of these other DXP products. It just means that you can pair it, right? You can add in DAMs and CDPs and marketing automation and personalization, you know, still to an experience like that. And I think that the um, line that we've seen drawn in the past where it's like, well, that's too too much of a complicated application or, well, it's got a login, so that can't really be a good fit. That's starting not to be true anymore because of how strong these platforms are becoming. Um, and again, because of what AI is introducing with its ability to generate the code. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think, you know, on the, let's call it on the, the, the prosumer end of things, it's, you know, I, I think some people in their in their off hours are used to w- things like Wix or Squarespace or you know nothing against those platforms but they're certainly not ready for uh, fortune 500 companies to to be running their sites on but they 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 do have some interesting things in them from a low code perspective that you know again you don't have to know you don't have to write code to to use them but you know it's really interesting to see um, the larger DXPs and and more enterprise grade platforms be able to work this yeah, work these kinds of features into them. And so, you know, what, what does this mean for the future of website redesigns? You know, it's it's uh, having built quite a few sites myself over the years. It's, you know, uh, we, we've certainly come a long way even in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. But, you know, is is low code, no code and, and having this a little more, let's call it democratization of control over over the CMS or DXP, you know, is this something that any customer out there should be requiring of their website agency when they when they start thinking about a redesign? Yeah, I I, I believe so. And you know, if you if you think about, you know, some of the things we were just talking about, the power of well, first of all, the limitation of you when you look back at a Wix or or a Squarespace or something of the like has always been that it's very, you know, somewhat cookie cutter, right? You right. have a bunch of templates you know, you, you pick the one you want and then you start to fill in your content and you have very limited flexibility over how you want it to, to be designed. And, it, and in the past, if you wanted like very specific custom designs, you would have to spend a lot of money and that's how you end up with some of, um, you know, some of the other bigger, more expensive platforms. You spend a lot of money on licensing and you spend a lot of money on the time to do the development. Well, suddenly when you start to look at some of these platforms that have something a a little bit more in between, right? Like I mentioned, like um, Webflow or even, you know, Editor X, which is an offering from Wix, is that you've got the ability to take your custom design exactly as it is and actually implement it and have the code generated and end up potentially with the best of both worlds. Right. And and so, again, you know, it's 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 evolving quickly. But the future is that, in my opinion, is that presenting content from a CMS will all be low code, no code within the next few years. Um, Developers will still be necessary to fill in gaps, tweak it, add business logic. I think commerce, it'll be longer for commerce because I think that that's got a lot more complexities to it. But I think that 50% or more will be cut out of development budgets, um, which is great because it doesn't mean that agencies like ours won't get that, you know, couldn't potentially still have that profit. It means that we're just helping our customers put it towards something that's more strategic. Right. 
And, you know, does, you know, we're going to get to a point where I think designs and sitemap architecture could also be generated. Um, I've seen some pretty cool tools that will do that. And eventually, again, it will be the same sort of thing. Uh, organizations like Verndale, I call it uh, becoming a digital Sherpa, <laughs> right? Yeah. Where you're sort of guiding and nudging and saying, you know, almost having a conversation with these platforms to say, well, add this and do that. And it does a bunch of things. And you're like, well, that's not quite right. Let's tweak that and do this thing instead. Or, or that feel of that design isn't quite right. Let's make it more professional, right? And it's going to just generate all of this stuff. And you're going to say, I like that, that, and that, and not that. And it will right. just keep keep evolving it. So I think that customers should absolutely expect that any agency they engage with are exploring low code and no code and incorporating it. You know, we've even in implemented GitHub Copilot, which is um, a code gen for every one of our developers as well. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. And, you know, I think to one of your earlier points, having been on the agency side several times and, you know, I still work as a consultant, but moving the button 10 pixels to the right or you know changing this you know the h1 tag from this color to that like that's not that's not the kind of strategic work that an agency certainly like yours or or, or like others really wants you know it's it's something that the client wants and and they need and um and certainly they're going to get it when they ask for it but it's not high value work and you, you know even even the client doesn't value it like the amount of time that it would sometimes take in, in some of these other systems. So yeah, I mean, this seems, it just seems like a, a no brainer. And and then, you know, the agencies, the consultants, even the in-house people can offer more value and more strategic value versus, you know, again, moving, moving things a couple pixels where, a, you know, a drag and drop interface could certainly do that. And, and then they could move it back if they don't like it um, moved over there. So, you know, is, where, where do you see this? this low code, no code approach heading, you know, is, are we just at the beginning stages? I mean, you, you mentioned briefly, you know, AI assistance in, in various stages of, of this stuff, you know, where, where do you see this heading in the, in the, in the months and, and years to come? Yeah, I would say it's, it's the beginning, you know, it's only been about a year now um, for sort of this, this, this remarkable evolution that's really taken consumers by hold. But like, if, if you're looking at it, like, AI will be assisting with not only the low code, no code platforms and, and, and trying to select platforms that are incorporating that somehow, but agencies such as myself should be leveraging it for any of the coding, for example, that they will need to be doing. And not just the coding, but also, as I mentioned, they could be leveraging AI for creating sitemaps, for figuring out personas, for digital marketing aspects, for very quickly iterating through designs, right? Like think about the case where, you know, a customer wants to see, you know, three or four different versions of, you know, their their style guide across different designs. You know, that, that could take weeks, you know, or months in the past. But what you're going to start to be able to do is very quickly generate 20 or 30, yeah. right? And then pick the top five that you like the most and then iterate on those. So it's going to just be a huge time saver. And um, right now it's complicated because there's so much out there, right? Like if you're, you know, I know my my Google feed 
is you know constantly showing me all kinds of new tools because every time I click on them and then they start to understand, it starts to think that you know oh I want to see more right. So yeah. I I I feel like every day there's there's ten new tools it's recommending to me and it's like how do you cut through all the noise? And so you know what we're constantly trying to do is encourage an you know sort of an ethos at Verndale that everyone should be experimenting playing around with these different things and something that really resonates with them, they should bring up to us in leadership so that we can really dive into some of these things and start to recommend them to our customers, start to recommend them for our internal processes and to you know do whatever we can to take advantage of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Liz, thanks so much for joining the show. One last question before we wrap up here. Um, You've given a lot of great advice already, um, but you know what's what's one next best action you'd recommend for those listening who uh, want to improve their website user experience for both their end customers as well as their internal teams? Yeah, well, first, thank you for having me as your guest. This has been really fun. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right, so what I would recommend is that if an organization is working with an agency, I would suggest asking them for their opinion on on some of these topics, right? What do they think about SaaS and headless? What do they think about AI? What and you know, where you know, where do they think they might start using code generation platforms and and are those going to start to impact their strategy? If they don't know or or they say, "Well, we're not ready for that yet" or they can't answer it, I'd be a little concerned, right? I'd, I'd probably want to get a second opinion um, somewhere else just because it's going to all move so quickly that no one, or really people will get left behind, right? And you're going to end up still paying a lot of money for things that your competitors are not paying for anymore, right? right? right. Um, additionally, I'd recommend getting an evaluation done um, of your digital platforms and infrastructure. So, you know, for for example, you know, we've got a workshop that we run um, where we run through, you know, we provide 25 to 30 questions. And then when we get the response from those, we hold a free workshop and we kind of just go through what the, what the answers are and at least give some initial advice, right? So I think that, you know, if anyone's, you know, kind of overwhelmed by everything that's going on right now. You know, there's a lot of organizations such as such as Verndale that's more than happy to do some of those initial evaluations and just start start you like you know getting the momentum going and clearing out the inertia of, of staying in one place. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, again, I'd like to thank Liz Spranzani. Chief Technology Officer at Verndale for joining the show. You can learn more about Liz and Verndale by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. While you're there, check out my series of best-selling Agile Brand guides, covering a wide variety of marketing technology topics, or you can search for Greg Kilstrom on Amazon. The Agile Brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile. The Agile Brand.